if the sound is off on one of these. Okay. Copy. You ready? Welcome to Ground Zero. This is the pilot episode of our podcast, The Ecolit Project. I'm April. And I'm Nicole. We're recording in Colson Hall. That's the English department at West Virginia University. We are graduate students here at WVU, and we study Ecolit. That's ecocriticism and environmental literature. I think we should maybe take a few minutes to introduce ourselves here to get started. Um, Nicole, do you want to tell us about yourself? I'm Nicole, and I primarily study the poetry that was written during and in response to the Industrial Revolution. I'm really interested in the way that poetry sort of goes into mining spaces, especially coal mining spaces. I'm interested in the way that this journey into the subsurface has sort of created a surface identity that is based so much around natural resources, not just in an economic sense, but in a very, in a way that sort of ties these two realms together. Right, and where Nicole is interested in what's happening below the surface, I'm interested in what's happening kind of up on the heights. Um, above ground level. Um, so I study romanticism primarily, American and British romanticism, um, and I am interested in mountains and what happens when we ascend mountains. Um, I'm really interested in the sublime and the sort of cultural meanings that landscapes carry, in particular mountains, but also other, other um, challenging landscapes. Um, and so I think that our research interests tie together pretty well. We complement each other fairly well. Right, there's sort of that, again, that idea of how you can take literature and you can go really, really deep with it, but you also do kind of reach different heights, different places through right. it. Right. So like I said, our project, the Ecolit Project, really is tied into eco-criticism, and that is something here at WVU that has a really strong presence, but it's something that maybe people aren't quite so familiar with. It's a field that is still, I think, very much under development. I don't think there's a single set definition of what ecocriticism is. I know there are dictionary definitions that boil it down to fairly simple terms, but I think that if you were to ask three scholars what is ecocriticism, you would probably get three very different definitions. Right. That's actually something that really links the way that we've both come to it, that it wasn't really this straightforward, I intend to join an English department and study eco-criticism. We both kind of reached it through this roundabout way, I'd say. Right. Yeah. When I came to the program, I actually wasn't familiar with the term eco-criticism. Um, 
I was interested in writing about nature and about our relationship with nature, um, but I didn't realize that there was actually a term for this. So I guess that's one step toward defining something. If you're able to label it, to call it by um, a name, that's that's one step. But I, there's still a lot, a lot more to the process that I think we need to work through. I had heard of the term eco-criticism before I came to graduate school, but I didn't actually hear about it until the last semester of my last year of undergraduate. I was a Bachelor of Arts student studying English at the University of Alaska Fairbanks, and I heard the term as kind of part of an overview of different theoretical approaches you can take to a text. It wasn't that it was necessarily new, though. It was something I had seen occurring between probably literature and science. Mm -hmm. I was, mm -hmm. one semester really stands out where I was taking an Alaskan natural history class to meet a biology requirement the same semester that I was in a seminar about Alaskan traditional literature. And both of these genres, both of these disciplines were looking at the same landscape at the same ecology mm -hmm. and they were saying the same thing there was scientific accuracy to the literature so it was just more of a genre study than across of disciplines um, so when I heard eco-criticism that kind of I'd say that it kind of reconciled um, a regret I had Nobody had really spoken to me before about double majoring, so I felt like I had had to choose between English and biology. So this was sort of a way to bring some science into literature for me. It's a convenient way to bring those things together. Yeah, I, I had, I've had that experience in a lot of classes, I think, where it seems like every semester I'm taking classes that where what we're talking about in one class directly informs what we're talking about in another class. And um, I agree. I feel like eco-criticism is a good way to bring together sort of different viewpoints um, where you're not doing strictly literature, you're not dealing strictly with ideas, but you're also not doing strictly biology where you're dealing with physical matter. You're kind of bringing everything together in interesting ways. That really relates to the greater ethos of why we started the Ecolit Project. Um, not only is eco-criticism sort of evolving as a defined field of study, but it really taps into the way that we define ecology. Mm -hmm. So there are several working definitions of ecology. Merriam-Webster's dictionary lists a couple of them. There is the very traditional definition, a branch of science concerned with the interrelationship of organisms and their environments. But it can kind of be a bit more abstract, the totality or pattern of relations between things and their environment. And it was sort of that sense of patterns, that way of a narrative that really, I think, can draw literature into it in a way. Mm -hmm. And that awareness of narrative that literature gives us really... Um influences the way that you see what's happening in the world around you because everything 
has its own narrative and you start realizing that um, the narratives that we form about the world in our minds really do influence the way that we interact with that world. Um, so I think that there are very tangible consequences of doing this kind of work. Right. It is very real world in a lot of ways. And that is why there is so much of a linguistic, philological aspect to it, going back to how we define ecology, how we define environment, how we define nature. That is one of the bigger reasons why people get into eco-criticism. What is that narrative? Do we need to change it? Does it need to evolve as as our planet is evolving? So our initial reason, kind of basic reason for starting this project is that we um, wanted to get together to read some some of the foundational texts of eco-critical scholarship. We had envisioned this as a sort of book club where we could get together ever so often and read something that has been influential in the field and discuss it with each other. Um, we decided to frame this as a podcast because we thought it would be, on the one hand, um, a good way to hold ourselves accountable for doing this. Um, also, we thought it would be a good resource um, for others who are in our shoes who maybe are seeking out resources on eco-criticism um, that we could maybe share some of what we're discovering with, with other people. It maybe won't cover every facet of this very diverse field, mm -hmm. but maybe it can be a starting point or a gateway for somebody trying to enter the field. Yeah, or just trying to figure out what the field is exactly. <laughs> um, and I think that that's something that we'll, we'll do as we, as we work through some of these texts that maybe we'll come to a better um, understanding of what eco-criticism is. So features of the Ecolit project. Um, we just wanted to take a few minutes to kind of lay out what the project is and what we what our plans are for it. It's a project that will have two primary parts. The first will be a website, and the second will be the podcast. Right. So, um, so the website um, will include. First of all, information on the podcast, so we will be kind of linking back to ourselves there. Um, we'll include blog posts. Some of these will be more formal in nature, um, so we might include what we're calling naturalist history, um, which are just some brief snapshots of crucial moments in the environmentalist movement, character studies, close readings, that sort of thing, and then probably some informal posts where we just sort of notice things in our day-to-day -day lives and maybe spend some time musing on those from an eco-critical standpoint. What, one of the most exciting things about eco-criticism is that it really does sort of create like a new lens through which to experience your environment. So mm -hmm. we're hoping the more we read, the more that we will be able to notice and 
hopefully share. Noticing is a big thing. I'm sure we'll we'll talk a lot about noticing things later on. Um, And in addition to the blog post, we will also be sharing some of the resources that we are finding along the way as we read more. We will be developing a reading list with the texts that are classic or contemporary to eco-criticism, the ones that are really making up that canon of works and authors in the field right now. And on maybe a more micro-linguistic level, a glossary with terms specific to eco-criticism, environmental literature, environmental studies in general as an interdisciplinary mode of academics um right and if we don't have a term then we'll come up with a term we'll find one um and i think that that's something that happens quite frequently in this field um we're exploring new ideas we come across things that we don't quite know how to describe yet so um language is evolving and it's prone to hybrids there you go and then, of course, there will be the podcast, um, and this is something that we we plan to publish once a month. Um, we'll read a theoretical text, and then alongside of that, we'll read a literary text and kind of read the literary text through the lens of the theoretical text. So um, we'll publish the first Friday of every month, um, and do you want to talk about the breakdown of of the episodes. We are really taking inspiration from our mountain mine interests and we will be covering everything in three sections. The first will be the natural resource. Again, that'll be related to the theoretical text. That should be a resource for people in the field that they can use to approach a variety of texts. The next will be the literary mind. Now that's M-I-N-E-D, mind, and that will be the creative work that we will be um, mining for eco-critical content. Right. And the third? Um, And the third would be finding footholds. Um, So this would be a section where we look for greater insights or application to whatever we uncover. in our second segment and then kind of go from there and a big part of that is going to be that beyond this close reading that you can form between one theorist and one author it is something that you should be able to take and apply to however it is that you are defining ecology whatever that space is there are some of those greater themes and We will be using those to revisit those all-encompassing questions of how are ecology, environment, and nature being understood as. Yeah. Yeah. So that's actually going to be a big feature of our first season. We will be laying the groundwork for how eco-criticism is being founded. So next time, if you want to read along with us, we're going to be reading George Lakoff and Mark Johnson's book, Metaphors We Live By. This will be our theoretical text. Um, And then afterward, we'll be looking at two of our favorite poets. We'll be reading Percy Shelley's poem, Mont Blanc, a poem written in response to a sublime alpine landscape. 
and Anna Seward's Colbrook Dale, written about the long-term effects of industrial mining. Links to the poetry will be up on our website if you'd like to read along with us. We hope you will. We hope you'll join us. Until then. Until next time.